You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. So good to be with you today. And I want to remind you of a couple of things we've learned in recent weeks. If you're just joining us right now, you might want to hear these truths for the very first time, especially considering the current events in our nation and in our world. I want to remind you today that God can always be trusted, that God doesn't make mistakes, that God loves you desperately and his faithfulness to you, it's great, it's amazing, it's much further beyond human faithfulness. God's faithfulness is perfect, it's just, it's wonderful, and that's how much God loves you and how much God is for you. Now, a lot of people ask this, well, how do I know then if that's how good God is toward me, if that's how faithful God is toward me, how do I get my life into the will of God? How do I know what the will of God is for my life? And most people think that God's will is something that either you have or you don't have, that you're either in or you're out of. And they think it's some great secret that if I don't discover the will of God, I'm gonna mess my life up. And I know that there's sometimes people who grew up in the church or other places who think to themselves, they're like, if I don't discover what this is, then maybe I'm, I'm gonna make the wrong decision. And so people get frozen in making a decision because they're not sure if it is in the will of God and they're not sure how to discover that. And honestly, who wants to make wrong decisions in areas that ultimately matter? And we ask these questions like, God, what's your will? What's your will? Where should I go to school? God, who should I marry? God, should we make this large purchase or not? Which job should I pursue or which career should I have in the future? God, where should I serve you in your church and use my giftedness and, and my abilities? Where should I do that? You ask all the time, well, what activities should I sign my kids up for? And sometimes it might stress the family and there might be too much. Or in a season like this, it might feel like there's too little. But God, what are the ones that are really priority in my life? And how do I deal with aging parents? And we have all these questions, and those are just a few, that make us wonder if we're in the will of God. More often than not, we just come to decisions like this. And being honest, most people just decide. They just do it. Many times we don't persist in asking God what he would have to say about these decisions. But that should not be true of a fully devoted Christ follower. We want God's counsel and we want his insight regarding the decisions that face our lives. And here's why you need this sermon today. God's will is lived, not found. I want you to understand that that God's will is lived out. It's not found. People think they got to find the will of God all the time. No, God's will is something that is lived out. It's not something that simply they look for to find. And we have to understand God's will. There's different parts or aspects to the will of God. The first one, and if you're writing notes today, is this, that God has a moral will. And it is clear in the Bible his moral will, what is right and what is wrong, it's to be followed, it's to be obeyed. If you are a Christ follower, then that's something that you're saying, I understand God's morality. I understand what God's will is for those who, like myself who would follow the will of God, that we follow him in his word. He's been clear in his word. You see, before you and I knew God, you would 
handle your money. You would handle your sexuality. You would handle your abilities however you wanted. But when you and I became Christ followers, we began to learn how to bring God into the equation. We learn how to handle our resources in the way that God encourages us to handle the resources that he's entrusted to us. That we're to handle our sexuality in the way that fits within God's moral law. That we're to handle our abilities with the stewardship that God has given us to not just keep them to ourselves, but to use them within the protections and the restraints of God's moral will. And the idea is this, that we use all those things in a way that loves the Lord our God with all our heart and loves our neighbor as ourself. That's why we do those things. That's what, why God has set up a moral will, a moral law is because he wants us to honor and love him first. And he wants us to honor and love other people in a way, instead of sinning against other people or taking from other people or trying to just offend other people or get back and take revenge on other people, God's moral will exists to teach us that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. By the way, let me say, if you're seeking out God's moral will, never seek guidance on what God has already forbidden or what he's already permitted. People do that all the time. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll say, you know, God, we just love being together. We love each other so much. We want all the perks of married, being married and we want all the perks of sex without actually having to get married. And we have a whole list of reasons why we might not want to get married. But we want to live as if we're married. But we want to ask God, is that okay with you? Well, when you do that, you just wasted your breath. Because God has already been clear in his word, in his moral law, that sex is to be reserved within the context of the marriage relationship. God has been clear. You don't need to seek God and what he's already been clear on. We do need to seek his word in the Bible to know which way to go. It's like us saying this. It'd be like being unsure about maybe dietary laws. And you, say, you might come to God and say, well, God, I, I just want to know, shall we eat bacon or not? And God would be like, listen, read Acts chapter 10 in your Bible. Like I told Peter not to call unclean what I've declared clean. So God has already been clear that you and I have freedom to eat bacon or not. And if you decide not to, you can have good reasons. If you decide to, you have full freedom to eat good bacon. Can I get an amen? Well, Mark Twain said this. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. And all too often people are looking at the Bible and they're looking at God and they're asking God, they're asking other people for loopholes, a way to uh, still have a faith in God and, and want to honor him, but to live as they please. You want to know who gets asked all the time for a loophole or a blessing to break God's moral will? It's pastors. People all the time come to their pastor and they ask for permission to break God's moral will for their life, which God's already been clear on. Because they feel like, well, if the pastor told me, then it kind of gives me a loophole. So write this down. God has a sovereign will. He has a sovereign will. So first he has a moral will, but now he has a sovereign will. And this is so important for you to hear this week that it is his eternal plan from eternity past. His plan will be challenged by Satan and the spiritual forces on earth and in the heavenly realm, but they will not overcome God's sovereign plan. 
Almighty God will carry out his sovereign will. His plan will triumph. That's how God works that his plan is going to triumph. And it's hard for us at certain times when we want to project our preferences on God's sovereignty. Like, God, we think it would be better if this person wasn't sick. And God, it seems to make no sense to us that this person is ill, or it seems to make no sense to us that you didn't allow my party to win, or that, God, you didn't do things that we think would be best for our nation, our country, our world. Let me let you know that God's clear that whoever's in leadership, God is placed in that position. God's in charge of both the rise and the fall of nations, that God is sovereign. He has a big plan that we're not privy to. And we as believers in Jesus Christ, we entrust our plans, we entrust our preferences to the sovereign will of God. Let me tell you what, when you do that, it takes the pressure off. It makes you stop relying on a political party to make things right in our world. It makes you stop relying on a healthcare system to make things right in our world. It makes you stop depending on a person to complete you in your life. You begin to say, God, you're sovereign. God, you're awesome. Your plan will triumph. And I only see dimly, I only see a little bit right now, not the whole picture. And God, even if it means we're uncomfortable in any way, we know that you are still sovereign. I've heard it said, Make your plans in pencil, but give God the eraser. That you and I, we're going to make plans, but at some point we're going to go, God, this makes no sense to me. And God's going, I have the freedom, the sovereignty to erase that because the story of you that I'm writing fits into my big picture plan. And it's always best, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. What do we do? We say, God, this doesn't make sense to me, but I trust the sovereign will of God. So he has a moral will and he has a sovereign will. But this is the one that we all want to know. Well, God, what's your individual will for my life? God has an individual will for you and for me as Christ's followers. His plan, though, is less like a GPS and it's more like a scroll. Picture a scroll just slowly being opened and you're just barely seeing the next part being revealed. He doesn't throw it open and give us the final destination. He begins to reveal his individual will for your life and mine a little at a time because he wants you and I to discover that together with him. He doesn't just want to give us a destination where we say, God, I'll get there, I'll forget you, but I'll try to please you by getting there. When he's like, I'd rather walk with you through the decisions of your life. So like that scroll being opened up slowly and certainly there are times that you and I, we, we drift, don't we? There are times that you and I, we wander away from God and it's like you're following God and all of a sudden you wander away and it's like rerouting. And then you're following God and you wander away and God's like mm, rerouting. And he keeps bringing us back to what his will is for our life. Some people are so afraid they think I might wreck the will of God in my life. And the truth is when you've wandered, God reroutes. He reroutes you because that's how faithful he is to you. That's how much he loves you. We follow him as our leader. So God not only has a plan for you, but he's promised to reveal it. In Psalm chapter 32, verse eight, it says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Isn't that beautiful? That God wants to intimately be involved in teaching you. He wants to intimately be involved in instructing you. He wants to counsel you 
in the way that you should go with his loving eye on you. And that is a beautiful thing. Talk about a God who wants to be personal and relational with you. And that's what we're going to see as Paul begins to live that out as he heads back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is dangerous for Paul. It's a place where trouble will surely await him. And I want you to write this down. When you're following the will of God, I want you to write this down, that God's will compels you to move forward. It compels you to move forward. By the way, don't think that God's call to missionary service, like in Paul's life, is different from his call to you in your career or his call to you in any other area. Where is the will of God? Let me ask, where is the will of God compelling you to move forward right now? What's he asking you to do? Where is he compelling you to move forward? Where do you, among the objections of other people, you're like, I have this compulsion that God is giving me to continue to follow him, even if it means displeasing people. And that's where we see Paul right now in Acts chapter 21. As we looked previously in Acts chapter 20, he gives us this insight. Paul says, and now compelled by the Spirit, who, the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So what happens? Paul's compelled. He's compelled by the Spirit of God to keep moving forward. So Paul, he moves forward as he follows God. Now notice what he does as he and his companions arrive at each new city, each new place. In verse four of chapter 21, it says that they sought out the disciples and stayed with them there. So they get to a new city, they get to a new town. It might be you getting to a new college. It might be you moving or relocating. And what is Paul's example to us? It's to find the believers, find the believers and stay with them, have fellowship with them. So if you're taking notes today, number five, write this down. Search out Christian fellowship. I mean, this year, all of us have felt the impact of what it looks like when you can't have a regular Christian fellowship. So what is God's encouragement to you? What is the Holy Spirit's encouragement to me? Well, you may not be in a new city, but you're in a new season. And in a new season, you need to search out Christian fellowship. Because how important is regular interaction with Christ's followers in God's sight? We watch Paul saying, it's essential as I'm traveling, as I'm entering a new season, as I'm entering a new phase, that I've got to seek out Christian fellowship. So watch his pattern, starting in Acts 21, verse 7 and following. It says this, We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Right? So they sought them out. They found them. They stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea. That's down by the ocean. And we stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. And he had four unmarried daughters that, who prophesied. And after we had been there, what? A number of days, he had sought them out, stayed with them a number of days. It says a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And by the way, Judea is in the south. 
And you'd say, well, they kind of came up north, but what happens is they always speak in elevation, that Judea, the hill country, was higher, and he went down to the coast where Caesarea was. It says, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, and he tied his own hands and his feet with it, and he said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, remember it says we, why does it say we? Because Luke is there. Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, who wrote the book of Luke. He's saying, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Like, don't do it. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up. And what do they say? The Lord's will be done. What do they do? They say, it makes no sense, Paul. It's breaking our heart. We love you. We need you. We for years have walked alongside with you. And now we're trying to, but they see that he is compelled by the Holy Spirit. They see that he's seeking out Christian fellowship. And even then they say, well, we don't understand it, but we're gonna entrust you to the will of God of God. Let me tell you that there's some people that you've got to entrust to the will of God. You don't understand it. There may be tears involved, but you've got to entrust them. I mean, literally, how is this any different for a parent who have to relinquish a daughter or a son to follow God's will in their life? It might be across the world on a mission field. It might be into another part of the world. It might be moving to another state. It might be moving away from their support network and then going to somewhere else where they have to seek out the Christians and find a new support network. But whatever it is, there are times that you and I have to relinquish the people we love to the will of God. We make our objection. We make our heart cry. We say what our need is and we express our love. But at the end, we say, okay, and the Lord's will be done. People will ask you, why? Why do you commit to God and why do you follow his will? I mean, people will object. They will offer many alternatives to following the will of God. It just won't make sense to them. They'll say, listen, it's a lot easier if you just do this. It's a lot more convenient if you just do that. They'll give you worldly advice, stuff that seems to make sense in the world. Uh, They will be perplexed to watch you be compelled to follow the will of God. His individual will as you're seeking him. And as he's leading you, they'll be perplexed by it. I mean, think about when you became a Christian, when you changed teams, when you changed sides. Were not the people you used to hang out with perplexed at your decision? Were they not perplexed that you no longer wanted to do the things that they do, but you said, now I'm going to subject myself. I'm going to honor and obey. I'm going to submit to the moral will of God. I'm not going to run after everything you run out of. I'm not going to act like I used to act. And there's a changing of teams. There's a changing of sides and they're perplexed by it. They're absolutely perplexed. Years ago, while I was in school, both in college, in seminary, uh, in high school, I worked construction. That was my job to earn an income. And I worked construction and I worked all summer and pe- people would ask me, like I remember at one point I was, had graduated college, I'm working construction that summer and I'm about to go off to grad school. I'm moving from Southern California to Denver, Colorado to attend seminary, that's graduate school for those who wanna be a pastor. And, and there were, there were, construction workers who were like, what are you thinking? Like you already have your college degree. 
Like you could be making six figures in the next three years. Why in the world do you want to go to grad school for the next three years? Why do you want to be a pastor? There were even people who were perplexed. They thought because I was going to be a pastor, like I wasn't allowed to get married. I had to set them straight on what that, that a pastor is different than, you know, uh, the Catholic experience that they had had in their background. But they'll be perplexed. People will question, why do you follow the individual will of God? You want to see a person question your resolve to follow God's will? Just explain to your non-Christian accountant why you tithe why you honor God with the first, why you give to ministries above and beyond uh, it just as honoring God with the first of your income. It will seem crazy to a non-Christian accountant, but it is Jesus Christ to whom we give an account of how we handle money and how we handle our time and how we handle our abilities and how we handle the gifts that he's given us. So picture this for a minute. It is far better for you and I to perplex our accountant than to perplex the one to whom your accountant and you and me ultimately give an account. There is one ultimate accountant who will ask, what did you do with what I gave you? And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's gonna ask, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with your knowledge about him? What did you do with my moral will? What did you do with my sovereign will? What did you do with my individual will? There is one accountant that we should not perplexed. There's one accountant we should walk with, and it's the one to whom every human ultimately gives an account. Write this down. Number six, don't think being in God's will keeps you from problems and troubles. Being in the will of God doesn't, is not some sort of guarantee that you don't have problems in your life. It's not some guarantee that you don't have trials in your life. Life is relentless, but in that, God is good. And we see that in the life of Paul. That right now he's saying, I'm willing to face these troubles. I'm willing to face this persecution. Being in God's will is not a get out of trouble card. In Acts 21, beginning with verse 15, it says this, after this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. What does that mean? Even after making all those objections, Luke is still traveling with Paul to Jerusalem. Even though it was breaking his heart, he is still with Paul traveling to Jerusalem. We went up to Jerusalem. Verse 16, some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. It goes on and says this, verse 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. Remember again, when they get to a new place, they seek out the people of God. They received us warmly. Verse 18, the next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. And Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So he gets all the way back to Jerusalem. He's talking to the brothers and sisters. There are trials that await him. There are hard days ahead. And we will look at that as we continue to follow the life of Paul in this context. But today I wanna give you, as we're remembering even communion on a day like today, I wanna give you three tests for God's individual will. How do you know whether to follow the individual will of God or not? How do you know what it is? How do you know to ask him? And I want to give you three tests. And the first test is this. You have to give the decision 
the test of time. See, all of us are prone to try to want to get from God what we want to actually do. And so it's very easy to ask, God, is it your will that I should buy this car? God, is it your will that I should date this person? God, is it your will? And you don't give it the test of time because what you're trying to do is just get through the hoop so that you can get, you know, God's loophole to do what you actually want to do. So the first thing, if you want to seek the will of God, give it the test of time. Give it the test of time. Second, you want to give it the test of scripture that God is never going to ask you to do something that he strictly forbids in scripture, that he's going to make clear to you from his Bible what he wants you to do. And so you got to give it the test of scripture. It's one of the reasons that we spend quality time with God on a daily basis in the word, because the more we know the word, the easier it is to give our decisions the test of scripture. You need to know for yourself that the word of God speaks to you and to your circumstances and to your decisions. And the third test is the test of peace. The test of peace. Now listen, you may not have 100% peace about following the will of God. I don't think Paul didn't have trembling or fear or trepidation, but he knew on the inside, he had the peace of God that going back to Jerusalem, even though trials and persecution was gonna await him there, that even going back there, it was still the right thing to do, that he had the peace of God in his heart as he followed the will of God. And I want to let you know that you can't follow the will of God unless you understand that it is his will that you be saved. That first of all, you and I be saved. That we come to him to say, God, my sin cannot be washed away. I can't get rid of it. I can't do it. Only you can. And so we come to God and say, God, you were so good to give us your son, Jesus Christ, who willingly took all my sin and your sin upon himself and paid for it on the cross at great cost to him that made the disciples scratch their heads about what God was doing. They didn't understand it. But God on the cross was buying back you and me from the clutches of sin and of death and an eternity that would be spent in hell. And he was coming and he was saying, I am willing to give my life, my blood, my life on the cross. I will We'll give all that for you so that you could have forever relationship with me in a place that the Bible clearly describes called heaven. Listen, it is the most beautiful thing, but it's a free gift, but you have to receive it. And the way that you do that, maybe you're there today and you're just saying, I need to do that. I need to make a decision to follow the will of God and stop playing games. And I need to switch teams and I need to ask Jesus to be my Lord, which means my boss, my master, my ruler, and my savior, the one who saves me from my sin. And maybe if that's you right where you are, you just pray a prayer like this after me. It's your way of introducing yourself to God and saying, God, I want what your will tells me you want for me, that you do not tarry, you do not you know, wait as some are in the process of waiting. You want all people to come to repentance, God, that that's what you're doing. And you even raise current events to make us question the big question so that we might seek you and find you as we seek you with our heart. So you pray a prayer right where you are. It's just talking to God. Something like this. You might want to repeat it right where you are. You just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe that you died on that cross for my sin. I believe you were buried and that you rose to new life because you're God. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me as white as snow wash me, forgive me. I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside. Would you make me spiritually alive? 
I wanna follow you and your will for my life. So today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, heaven is rejoicing, the angels are rejoicing, you are a new creation, your sins have been washed away, you don't have to fear death, you can have joy in your life as you begin to discover more and more how to follow God's moral will and his sovereign will and his individual will for you. He loves you, he doesn't make mistakes, he is so faithful to you and he passionately pursues you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.